And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi for Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, I've had my Fruit Loops, and I'm feeling frisky. Let's go. A little metal to start things off. We are back in the studio. Welcome, everyone. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor-in-chief at Sci-Fi for Me. And we appear... We appear to be off the air on YouTube as we're setting up all of this stuff today. We do not have a button that says that we can go live. So apologies for the delay, folks. It was not something that I was expecting to deal with. But apparently... They don't want you to see this show we are broadcasting to odyssey and facebook and that appears to be working at least for now we'll see how long it takes before we get shut down there as well good to have everybody with you the chat is live and we do have a chat option on odyssey i need to figure out where it is oh there it is so uh, if anybody is watching us on Odyssey, you can participate in the conversation. Those of you who are listening in uh, podcast form, welcome. We're glad that you are here as well. We've got listeners in France, Spain, Portugal, Russia, New Zealand, Canada, and of course, the good old U.S. of A. And we're glad to have all of you here with us as well. Like I said, we are back from the break, and it appears, yeah, YouTube, YouTube is not giving us a go live button. So we're on Odyssey and Facebook only. YouTube is not letting us broadcast. I wonder why. All right, so we are back from the break. During during the break, we were working on various different organizational things, doing some behind-the-scenes work, uh, developing some spreadsheets, among other things. Mindy's been working on the event spreadsheet. You have, what, 555, you said, official? 555 Comic-Cons on the spreadsheet, which is going to make the comic con convention events page searchable eventually so there is that so welcome everybody we are dealing dealing with big tech today i guess <laughs> what a deal i tell you all right so um I, I did mention uh we took a break one of the things that we talked about speaking of breaks and now it's not going to be a thing for this particular hour, although I'll probably end up uploading this to YouTube instead of doing the live thing, because the live thing apparently is not an option. Uh, but uh, we're going to be doing something a little bit different with, uh, with the format of the show. We're going to build in a spot break at about a half hour on the show clock for this particular show. The reason for that is that YouTube, with with our monetization scheme over on YouTube, the setup that we have, we're able to designate where commercials and advertisements drop into the video. Now, there are a lot of people over on YouTube that drop videos in, they're monetized, and the ads interrupt just fall into wherever in the middle of a sentence somebody is making a point and then this commercial for some 
uh, you know, ED drug drops in. So we're, we have the option. There is a button that you can click <clears throat> where you can say, let me suggest where the spots go. And we haven't been doing this, but we're going to start building in a break in this show just to experiment a little bit and test whether or not we can get a little more ad revenue. We're going to drop them into that break. It's only going to affect anybody that's watching on YouTube, not anywhere else. So just that one quick uh, program note before I get into the topics of the show. Now, that if you're here on replay, you can leave a comment, you can share your thoughts. Of course, we've always got the email address, live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. We're on all the socials, including the alternative socials. <clears throat> all right. We're ready to poke some bears and tip over some sacred cows. I must, I must offer this disclaimer. It's on the graphic at the beginning of the show, but let me explain. The views expressed by the host of the show are mine. They don't belong to anybody else here on staff. As a matter of fact, there are probably some people on the staff who would vehemently oppose what I'm going to say. And that's fine. But I want to start with a question. Now, I've got eight pages of notes here, folks. Eight pages of notes. By the way, uh, I, I hear Shang-Chi is very good. My son saw it. He says it's a, it's a highly recommend. It's very good. And of all of, the, all of the people who were on YouTube and all of the articles that were predicting that it might be a flop, I want you to stop and consider because Simu Liu is taking to the online interwebs and crowing a little bit about the success of the film, the apparent success of the film. A couple of things here. I have read in a couple of places that in order for this film to even be moderately successful, it's got to clear at least $500 million. It has not done that yet. So there's that. The other thing is that it, as, much as, as much as the powers that be want to dunk on YouTubers for saying this thing was going to be a flop, people on YouTube were not the only ones who were saying, this thing might not do all that great. But the media and the internet conveniently forgets all of the people who are actually on their side saying the same thing as the people who are not on their side. When it gets to this... Thing. Okay, uh, Mazerus is on Odyssey. He says it's not letting him make comments in the chat. So I'm going to do this. On Odyssey, I do believe, if I remember correctly, and I, and I have to go back and look at the email, I think on Odyssey, in order for you to be able to make a comment, you actually have to have an account. I'm not sure if that's the case, but it may be. But we still have the YouTube open. If you want to do the live chat on the YouTube, I'm monitoring that as well. Um, or you can leave a comment on Facebook. So we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Now, I was broadcasting also to LinkedIn, but that seemed to get shut down automatically just right from the get-go. I'm not sure. I think that was probably a connection problem. I don't think that LinkedIn would deliberately shut us down. But here's my question. Let me, let's, let's start with a question. Cam1138 on Odyssey as well. Good, good to see you both there. Good to see everybody there. Let me start with a question. How slippery is that slope starting to feel? I've asked that question on Twitter. And of course I get the requisite um, the requisite smarmy, snarky gift responses from certain quarters. And that's to be expected because if you look at Saul Alinsky's playbook, ridiculing your enemy is one way to try to neutralize him. Okay, fine. You want to make fun of me, that's fine. I'm just asking questions. But to begin with, I want to start with a passage out of 1984. <coughs> George Orwell. 
Cam1138 says, speaking of Orwell, I got banned on Twitter. You'll never guess for what. I am burning with curiosity now. Go ahead. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. Let me know. All right. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read a little passage from Orwell. This is from 1984. In my copy, it's on page 41, but there are plenty of other copies of this. So, your page number may vary. What happened in the unseen labyrinth to which the pneumatic tubes led, he did not know in detail. But he did know in general terms. As soon as all the corrections which happened to be necessary in any particular number of the times had been assembled and collated, that number would be reprinted, the original copy destroyed, and the corrected copy placed on the files in its stead. This process of continuous alteration was applied not only to newspapers, but to books, periodicals, pamphlets, posters, leaflets, films, soundtracks, cartoons, photographs, to every kind of literature or documentation which might conceivably hold any political or ideological significance. Significance. Let me try that. Day by day and almost minute by minute, the past was brought up to date. In this way, every prediction made by the party could be shown by documentary evidence to have been correct. Nor was any item of news or any expression of opinion which conflicted with the needs of the moment ever allowed to remain on record. All history was a palimpsest, that's a word I'm not familiar with, scraped clean and reinscribed exactly as often as was necessary. In no case would it have been possible, once the deed was done, to prove that any falsification had taken place. The largest section of the records department, far larger than the one in which Winston worked, consisted simply of persons whose duty it was to track down and collect all copies of books, newspapers, and other documents which had been superseded and were due for destruction. A number of the times which might, because of changes in political alignment or mistaken prophecies uttered by Big Brother, have been rewritten a dozen times, still stood on the files bearing its original date and no other copy existed to contradict it. Books also were recalled and rewritten again and again, and were invariably reissued without any admission that any alteration had been made. Even the written instructions which Winston received, and which he invariably got rid of as soon as he had dealt with them, never stated or implied that an act of forgery was to be committed. Always the reference was to slips, errors, misprints or misquotations which it was necessary to put right in the interests of accuracy. But actually, he thought as he readjusted the ministry of Plenty's figures, it was not even forgery. It was merely the substitution of one piece of nonsense for another. Most of the material that you were dealing with had no connection with anything in the real world, not even the kind of connection that is contained in a direct lie. Statistics were just as much a fantasy in their original version as in their rectified version. A great deal of the time you were expected to make them up out of your head. For example, the Ministry of Plenty's forecast had estimated the output of boots for the quarter at 145 million pairs. The actual output was given as 62 millions. Winston, however, in rewriting the forecast, marked the figure down to 57 millions so as to allow for the usual claim that the quota had been overfilled. In any case, 62 millions was no nearer the truth than 57 millions or than 145 millions. Very likely, no boots had been produced at all. Likelier still, nobody knew how many had been produced, much less cared. All one knew was that every quarter astronomical numbers of boots were produced on paper, while perhaps half the population of Oceana went barefoot. And so it was with every class of recorded fact, great or small. 
everything faded away into a shadow world in which, finally, even the date of the year had become uncertain. It is a concern for me that the media, and I have been part of the media for 33 years now, the media is complicit in rewriting history. So, uh, over on uh, over on the YouTube, which is not live, Mazur says, a friend of mine got suspended from Facebook this morning for jokingly commenting on a spider, a creature she hates. The phrase was burn the house down, and the context was abundantly clear. The comment went against their standards on violence and incitement. Uh, <laughs> Sci-Fi Snob says, this sounds like a good jobs program for a bunch of bottom-tier writers. And yes, yes, I have... I, I, I won't say that I have been part of the problem, but I have witnessed the problem, given that I, most of my work has been involved in creating advertisements... Uh, one of the things that I have always stressed in my conversations with clients is that you cannot misrepresent what your product or service does. We establish a need and you say what your product or service does to fill that need. We never lie. I was never a party to that. But I did see it. And I did work with people who more than likely allowed their personal ideological biases to color the kind of work they did. This happens. Even though the media would love to deny it, and they do, the bias exists. But as far as recreating, rewriting, revising history, I want to take you to The Mandalorian Season 2 for a moment, because this is something that uh, that caught my attention. I thought was rather interesting because it speaks to this very thing that we're talking about today. John Favreau talking about the the finale of season two. This is an article in Hollywood Reporter, and I'm going to play the clip in a moment, but I want to go through this here. In a new behind-the-scenes look at The Mandalorian that dropped Thursday, uh, this would have been August 25th, creator John Favreau marveled at the technology that allowed the Disney Plus series to bring a de-aged Mark Hamill back as Luke Skywalker in the Season 2 finale, but he also expressed serious concern. And yes, hello, Mazurus, I see you in the chat on Odyssey. See? See? Technology sometimes does what you want it to do. Uh, back to the article. While talking about deepfake, a technology that allows a person in existing media to be replaced with someone else's likeness, Favreau said he was worried that the tech was getting so good that it could be used for wicked purposes. I want to play this because it's very telling. Because Favreau... Favreau hits the nail on the head a little bit more than he even maybe realizes. So here, this is from Disney Gallery, Star Wars, The Mandalorian, Season 2, Episode 2. Making of the Season 2 finale. Where's the, where's the sound? Ha ha ha. The sound isn't there. Of course not. Okay, well. Well, there's no sound. Isn't that a lick? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me go to my volume mixer. No, that sound's on over there. Why is it not? Anyway, all right, so let's do this. I'll just read the quote. You have a new technology available to you, just as Mickey had, 
with the magic book that allowed him to have the mops carry the buckets and do that work for him. And every technology is like that, and there are unintended consequences with new innovations if you don't fully appreciate what these things are capable of. And I think in the case of deepfake, it's something that is available readily, and it's a reminder that it might be used for purposes that are more misleading and more detrimental. Now, he actually said much more than this, which is why I wanted to play the clip, because he's basically saying, this is stuff that's off-the-shelf technology. This is not our stuff. This is not stuff that we came up with. This is stuff that anybody can use, can do, can, can access. It's one of those things where the technology exists. And even then, we saw the guy who did the, the deep fake that was better than the deep fake that Lucasfilm did actually got hired by Lucasfilm because his deep fake was better than theirs. Favreau even goes on to talk about how the voice, how, how Skywalker's voice, Mark Hamill's voice, is even manufactured. It's not, it's not Mark Hamill doing those lines. It's an algorithm. It's something called re-speecher. Re it's a software that takes all of this input, all of this information, and it builds the script, it builds the, the dialogue in a way that makes it sound like all of the samples that you've given it. So they give, it, they give this, this machine all of these pictures of Mark Hamill from that time. They have all of these recordings of his voice for that time. And they manufacture Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker from 1983. There was a movie. Oh, can you look this up what the year was? Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Are you familiar with this movie, Mrs. Boss? Have you heard of this movie? Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid is a movie that stars Steve Martin as a private investigator that's set in the 30s and 40s. It is a noir film. Steve Martin's character is investigating. And there are a lot of dead Hollywood stars. I'm sorry? 82, 1982. There are a lot of dead Hollywood stars in this movie. And Steve Martin's character is interacting with all of them. And they write the story so that they can take clips from other films from the 30s and 40s and weave together a brand new story. And at the time, we were talking about, you know, that's, that's kind of... That's eerie. I mean, it was effective because you got to match the cinematography. You got to match the lighting. You got to all of these logistics and all these things that you have to do in order to fit. Because, you know, one film doesn't look exactly like the other film like the other film. You got to make them all blend in. That's a challenge. And... At the time, one of the things that I wondered, and, and this is something that I've wondered about in other cases, because we saw this with some television commercials. I believe it was Coke that had a TV commercial with Louis Armstrong. And Louis Armstrong had been dead for quite a while at that point. And I think maybe they did one with Marilyn Monroe, did one with Humphrey Bogart. And we were talking about it at the time. We're like, can, can we do this? Should we do this? Because you're basically hiring a celebrity who now has absolutely no control over his or her image being used to publicize, to shill, to market a product. 
and that said celebrity may or may not have had a problem with that product. Maybe maybe John Wayne doesn't want to do a commercial for Cancun. I'm just throwing that out there, just making it up. And I thought to myself at the time, you know, one of these days, they're not going to need real actors. They'll just resurrect the dead ones. Easier to control because they don't talk back. And sure enough, here we are. Deep fake technology is now being used to replace dialogue in a different language. So instead of dubbing, instead of subtitles, they're using the deepfake technology to actually have the actors that are on screen speaking a language that they did not speak when they shot that movie. So if the actors are all speaking Portuguese, we can now use deepfake technology to turn everybody into someone who speaks Russian. The implications of this kind of thing. As Favreau says, the implications of this kind of thing are disquieting because now we have these game engines that are being used in studios like The Volume where we can create whole environments. You don't even have to go to Washington, D.C. to be in Washington, D.C., you don't have to go to Mars to be on Mars. You don't have to go to Paris to be in Paris. We can manufacture these environments out of whole cloth and we can put you in there and then we can make you look like whoever it is that we want you to look like and we can make you say whatever it is that you need to say. Ministry of Truth Indeed. So there are no real actors. There are no real locations. Does that raise the danger of no real truth? If we have the technology to make anyone say anything, the truth will quickly become its first victim. We've even seen discussions about this when the deepfake technology first came out. People were saying, well, you could, you could come up with anything. You could come up with any kind of video of any politician saying something that is really counter to anything that they believe as far as policy goes. And no one would know the difference. And Favreau even talks about that. He says, in the, in the coming years... The technology is going to develop and become so advanced that you will not be able to tell it apart. You will not be able to spot the difference. And the people who have those technologies and no scruples could do a very large amount of harm. And honestly, we don't necessarily need deepfake in order to push a false narrative. We're seeing that play out now. 1984, they didn't have the deepfake technology. They didn't have the computer algorithms. They didn't have anything technological. It was just a bunch of people changing everything. And then they go back through and they just change all of the copies. Well, it's easier to do that now with the algorithms, with machine learning, with the artificial intelligence that's employed by all of these different big tech companies like Facebook or YouTube. I have no doubt that YouTube did not let us go live because the word ivermectin was in the title of our video. I have no doubt. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not going to make any kind of advocacy position one way or the other. I'm asking questions and I'm pointing out from the standpoint of the 
the dystopias that we were warned about, I'm looking at that and I'm looking at what's happening in the real world and I am warning you, those of you who are intelligent enough and intellectually honest enough to listen, we're there. We are at the mercy of the ministry of truth if we don't do something about it. They are here. We have willing accomplices in the media who are able and willing without any moral scruples, any crisis of conscience whatsoever. They are willing to change the narrative for power and control. And they're ready to gaslight you. Case in point. Ivermectin. The Food and Drug Administration attempting to rewrite the history of this medication. Now they have this here. Headline, this is the Food and Drug Administration. This is a government agency paid for by your tax dollars, Americans. Those of you who are outside of the United States, this still should be a concern. Headline, why you should not use ivermectin to treat or prevent COVID-19. Third paragraph, there seems to be a growing interest in a drug called ivermectin for the prevention or treatment of COVID-19 in humans. Certain animal formulations of ivermectin, such as pour-on, injectable, paste, and drenched, are approved in the U.S. to treat or prevent parasites in animals. For humans, ivermectin tablets are approved at very specific doses to treat some parasitic worms, and there are tropical topical on-the-skin formulations for head lice and skin conditions like rosacea. Now, this is about the only place in this entire article where the FDA acknowledges that ivermectin is used for humans, used by humans, prescribed by human doctors for human patients. It's, it's yes, we've got a little formulation for humans. But the majority of this article, and you see up here, the beginning, you have this veterinarian with a horse. It's playing into the narrative that this is a horse dewormer. And yuck, 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 all those sad people who are buying into the notion that a horse dewormer will, will cure all their ails. This article in the Rolling Stone. Plays into that as well, because it, and I've seen it even with people who are friends of mine. Arrogantly scoffing. At people who are asking legitimate questions about ivermectin. And they're playing into the whole horse dewormer crap. This is an article from Peter Wade in Rolling Stone. And the headline has changed. Right now it says, One hospital denies Oklahoma doctor's story of ivermectin overdoses causing ER delays for gunshot victims. Now I want you to pay attention to a couple of things. This is in Oklahoma. There's not a whole lot of gunshot victims in Oklahoma. There's not. The number of assaults in this particular part of Oklahoma is kind of low. And the hospital sits there and says, we, we haven't turned anybody away. And the doctor that you're quoting in this article hasn't worked for us for a couple of months. But everybody picked it up and ran with it. And this photograph on their social media post connecting to the article has the original headline 
Gunshot victims left waiting as horse dewormer overdoses overwhelm Oklahoma hospitals, doctors says. It's a lie. This photograph that accompanies this is not even from Oklahoma. This is a photograph of a line of people who are waiting to get their vaccine shot from January, and I believe it's out of Chicago. Not Oklahoma. This is how the media plays you. They're lying to you. Rolling Stone eagerly plays into the narrative. It was picked up by MSNBC, BBC, The Guardian, Newsweek. And as far as I've seen, Justin Barragana is the only one who's taken to Twitter to issue a correction and said, this turns out to be not true. But all it would take is a phone call. Because Rolling Stone did not do the original reporting. It came out of KFOR in Oklahoma, television station, and all you had to do is call the hospital and say, hey, we've got a doctor telling us this. Is it true? The hospital had to issue a statement saying it's absolutely not true. None of it. What does Rolling Stone do? They issue an update that says, well, the hospital says that it's not happening. And then they roll the rest of the story out without any kind of a change at all. An ethical, professional media outlet would spike the story. An editor would sit there and say, well, did you call the hospital to find out if it's true? And the story would never see the light of day. If they were responsible. But that's not what this is. This is a lie. The FDA is lying by omission. They're playing into the whole, this is a horse dewormer thing. Why? Why would they be doing this? Because if you look at ivermectin, what exactly is it? It's a medicine that won the Nobel Prize in 2015. Ivermectin is considered one of the three miracle drugs, along with aspirin and penicillin. And it is available very, very, very inexpensively. And that's the key. Now, yes, it is an anti-parasitic drug. A lot of times it's used to prevent what's called river blindness in Africa. Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine 2015 divided one half jointly to William C. Campbell and Satoshi Umura for their discoveries concerning a novel therapy against infections caused by roundworm parasites. Now, the other drug that won the, uh, the award that year was a treatment for malaria. And you look at the press release, it talks about these discoveries. William C. Campbell and Satoshi Omura discovered a new drug, Avermectin, the derivatives of which have radically lowered the incidence of river blindness and lymphatic filariasis, as well as showing efficacy against an expanding number of other parasitic diseases. This is not a horse drug. There may be applications in veterinary medicine. That's what happens with medicine. You get into these things, you say, hey, well, what if we try this? 
what if we try this? What if we try that? Hey, we've got this thing over here that does anti-inflammatory. It has anti-inflammatory properties. Why don't we try it on this other ailment here? Mark Twain, he's credited with the quote that a lie can get around the world twice before the truth gets his boots on, but that's actually uh, a minister, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who says that. But Mark Twain did say this. Anybody can tell lies. There is no merit in a mere lie. It must possess art. It must exhibit a splendid and plausible and convincing probability. That is to say, it must be powerfully calculated to deceive. Because if it's got any kind of kernel of truth to it, the lie can be a little bit more believable. We're going to talk about that a little bit more right after this. You're watching Sci-Fi for Me TV. Well, that's a good question. That's a good question. It's an interesting question. I think it's a good question. It's a good question. When you need to know, count on Sci-Fi for Me to be there asking all the questions. It's an interesting question you're asking. You know, you ask very good questions. But you ask such a perceptive, excellent question. Now you put your finger on... You put your finger on exactly the heart of the book here. Bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-Fi for Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Thanks for watching Sci-Fi For Me TV. Be sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our channels so you don't miss our next broadcast. You're watching Sci-Fi For Me TV, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Well, that's not working yet either. Why is that not working? It was working before. My bump music stopped working. <sighs> gremlins. Gremlins, gremlins, gremlins. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here. Here's 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 the thing. Another another piece of this. And we're probably gonna go long today, maybe. And that's okay. So here's here's the other the other part of this. I want to I want to look at specifically um, the thing about Joe Rogan because Joe Rogan apparently took ivermectin as part of his uh, as part of his treatment and among other things, various different things. It seems to have worked. But over on Reddit, there is a thread. Uh, people who have compiled media reports about Joe Rogan's announcement that he had COVID. And in the original post over on Instagram, he looks fine. But in all of the media things, you see here CNN and, and over uh, things... They, they make him look a little bit more jaundiced, a little less healthy. Why? Why is that? These are tabloid tactics, folks. You remember, yeah, you, you walk into the grocery store, you're in the checkout aisle, and you see the pictures of, pick a, pick a celebrity, they're at death's door. Right. And they and they have the least flattering, the un the most unflattering photograph of this person. And they are at death's door. They're going to die. Last wish type of things. Right. That's what this is all about. That's what they're doing to Rogan. And to see people celebrating 
when Lo- when when Rogan said that he had this, why is there such a massive effort to change the perception about ivermectin? Why is the Ministry of Truth rewriting history for a Nobel Prize winning medicine now to be reduced to a horse dewormer? And they snarl and they sneer in contempt if you even contemplate asking the question of whether or not you should look into this as a treatment. Well, ivermectin is out of patent, which means that you can't make any profit from it. In 2020, this is a report here from Oxfam.org. In 2020, COVID vaccines create nine new billionaires with a combined wealth greater than the cost of vaccinating the world's poorest countries. All in all, in 2020, 56 new billionaires were created. A lot of them had to do with a service industry, things like Airbnb. DoorDash. Because the paradigm of the economy shifted. We are all stuck at home. And now you're ordering online. You're ordering food to go. You're ordering delivery and takeout. You're not going to the restaurants because you're not allowed to go to the restaurants. And we're all fine with this. Two weeks to flatten the curve, they said. And that's come into now two years or close to it, 18 months. Who benefits? Follow the money. The FDA emergency use authorization is dependent upon the fact that there be no other treatment option. So they have to discredit ivermectin. They must. They have to reduce this Nobel Prize winning drug that people have been taking for years. Now suddenly and definitively a horse dewormer. And how dare you contemplate taking it for anything else. The American Journal of Therapeutics has a couple of studies. One here, and, and these, this, is not, this is not just rolling something in off of somewhere. This is the American Journal of Therapeutics. I would assume a reputable organization. Here is a research paper here that they've published. Review of the emerging evidence demonstrating the efficacy of ivermectin in the prophylaxis and treatment of COVID-19. Here's another one. Ivermectin for prevention and treatment of COVID-19 infection. A systematic review, meta-analysis, and trial sequential analysis to inform clinical guidelines. That one, I want to take a look at that one here. Because this one, the meta-analysis part of this is that we're going to study not only our own thing, but all of these other ones that other people have done, and we're going to combine all of the results, and we're going to see if we can come up with some kind of a theory, a conclusion. In the abstract, it says in the background, repurposed medicines may have a role against the SARS-CoV-2 virus. The antiparasitic ivermectin with antiviral and anti-inflammatory properties, they're recognizing this can be an antiviral drug, no matter how it's being used in its primary use. I mean, aspirin, you look at aspirin, aspirin is a painkiller, but it's also a blood thinner. Ibuprofen, it's an anti-inflammatory, but people take it for pain. How many of you have taken a combination of ibuprofen and uh, acetaminophen? Because the two catalyze each other so that they work better in combination. But who thought of that? That's not on the label. Data sources on this. We searched bibliographic databases up to April 25th, 2021. Two review authors sifted for studies, extracted data, and assessed risk of bias. 
Meta-analyses were conducted and certainty of the evidence was assessed using a grade approach and additionally in trial sequential analyses for mortality. 24 randomized controlled trials involving 3,406 participants met review inclusion. So they've taken 24 different studies And they've come to the conclusion here. Meta-analysis of 15 trials found that ivermectin reduced risk of death compared with no ivermectin. This result was confirmed in a trial sequential analysis using the same Dersimonian layered method that underpinned the unadjusted analysis. There was also robust against a trial sequential analysis using the bigger staff tweeting method Low certainty evidence found that ivermectin prophylaxis reduced COVID-19 infection by an average of 86%. Conclusions on this. Moderate certainty evidence finds that large reductions in COVID-19 deaths are possible using ivermectin. Not, they didn't say probable, they say pro- possible. Using ivermectin early in the clinical course may reduce numbers progressing to severe disease. The apparent safety and low cost suggest that ivermectin is likely to have a significant impact on the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic globally. Now, that's the key there. The low cost. Because... Merck and Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca and anybody else that's working on this stuff can't make any money using ivermectin. It's not profitable. So it becomes necessary to discredit this miracle drug, basically, it is a, a drug that's been used for a number of years among humans safely. And now it's inexpensive. Here's another one. This is PubMed.gov. I believe this one is a, uh, I believe this is a, st- a study out of Stanford. Ivermectin, a multifaceted drug of Nobel Prize honored distinction with indicated efficacy against a new global scourge, COVID-19. They come to the same conclusions, that ivermectin can be used as a prophylactic and a treatment. Not by itself, But they need the words to mean something different now. Behavioral psychology. Words mean things. In, in some circles among behavioral psychologists, there is the belief that language influences thought. We assign ideas, metaphors, concepts to words. That's why it's so important for the people who are trying to control you to control the language. This is an essay, this is out of the Portable Stanford on 1984. This is from 1983, edited by Peter Stansky. It's a series of essays about the book 1984. This is an essay titled, Newspeak, Could It Really Work? From Elizabeth Kloss Tragot. I'm not sure what her credentials are, uh, but this is in here. Recognition, where, see, where did I, where was I going to start? The second paragraph. Recognition of the extraordinary influence that language can have on thought has been invaluable in alerting people to its potential for mind control. To the ways in which politicians can influence voters, doctors can influence patients, lawyers can put ideas into eyewitnesses' mouths, advertisers can dupe the public into buying what it does not want, to the fact that the use of the generic man, as in the history of man, or of he, 
instead of he and she, or where appropriate, they, can serve to silently exclude and so devalue half the world's population. Does that sound familiar? He, she, they, doctors telling you? Orwell is actually not fully consistent in his, represent, in his presentation of the theory that language influences thought and not vice versa. He hedges when he says a thought for which there was not a word would be impossible by adding, quote, at least in as far as thought is dependent on words, unquote. And when he discusses how free could be used only in the sense found in this dog is free from lice, but not in the sense politically free, he says the latter meaning did not exist, quote, since political and intellectual freedom no longer existed, even as concepts, and were therefore of necessity nameless, unquote. As part of his prophecy of the destruction of language by the totalitarian state, the admission that thought might possibly influence language is a source of confusion. However, as a clue to the reader that there may be hope, after all, it has its place. Orwell's ultimate message is an important one. Even if a linguistic nightmare like newspeak could not really work, what humans do with their capacities as language users will ultimately determine whether they remain human. The potential good that can come from the fact that to some extent thought influences language will be vitiated if the thought is evil. And the potential good that can come from simple language will be vitiated if the language is too minimal. With his usual ruthless honesty, Orwell saw that the principles he himself espoused so vehemently and tried to practice in his writing could become distorted and turn into monsters. The definition of a human being may be language user, but of all the creatures in the universe, only humans seem to be able to threaten their very nature. Whether they threaten it with thermonuclear warfare or with mind control of the type Orwell envisions, they can do so only because they are language users. The survival of humanity must depend on responsible use of language. How many people are getting their words confused? When you change the context and the meaning of words, you change the meaning of the word. You change how people understand those concepts. It's one of the reasons why the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. It was the, the language of the common folk, as opposed to classical Greek, which was used by the aristocracy. Koine Greek was the language of the blue-collar worker, the laborer, the man on the street. It was used between 300 B.C. and A.D. 300, and it fell out of use, and now you have modern Greek that evolved out of that. But Koine Greek is a fixed, dead language. So since it's not used anymore, the meanings of the words have not changed. And so when you go and look at the New Testament, or translations of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, that are in Koine Greek, the meaning of the words now is the same as the meaning of the words in 100 A.D., in 50 A.D., when these letters were originally written. We are in danger of losing our language. Pronouns are meaningless. Gender is whatever you want it to be. Even the CDC is getting involved with that by making recommendations of preferred terms for select population groups and communities. What business is it of the Centers for Disease Control to police language? This has nothing to do... Language doesn't have anything to do with disease. Far from it. And if you were to sit there and try to change the words, change the meanings of the language in medicine, that could lead to some harmful situations. 
And we've actually seen that kind of thing, because if you're sitting there telling me that you're a man when you're actually a woman biologically, and I'm going to treat you for a condition, there is the potential for danger because the biology is wrong. My understanding of your biology, my assumptions of your biology is wrong, and that could kill you. One last passage from 1984. I know we're a little long, but we started late because of YouTube. <clears throat> George Orwell. There was, of course, no admission that any change had taken place. Merely it became known with extreme suddenness and everywhere at once that East Asia, and not Eurasia, was the enemy. Winston was taking part in a demonstration in one of the central London squares at the moment when it happened. It was night, and the white faces and the scarlet banners were luridly floodlit. The square was packed with several thousand people, including a block of about a thousand schoolchildren in the uniform of the spies. On a scarlet draped platform, an orator of the inner party, a small, lean man with disproportionately long arms and a large, bald skull over which a few lank locks straggled, was haranguing the crowd. A little Rumpelstiltskin figure, contorted with hatred, he gripped the neck of the microphone with one hand, while the other, enormous at the end of a bony arm, clawed the air menacingly above his head. His voice, made metallic by the amplifiers, boomed forth an endless catalog of atrocities, massacres, deportations, lootings, rapings, torture of prisoners, bombings of civilians, lying propaganda, unjust aggressions, broken treaties. It was almost impossible to listen to him without being first convinced and then maddened. At every few moments, the fury of the crowd boiled over and the voice of the speaker was drowned by a wild beast-like roaring that rose uncontrollably from thousands of throats. The most savage yells of all came from the school children. The speech had been proceeding for perhaps 20 minutes when a messenger hurried onto the platform and a scrap of paper was slipped into the speaker's hand. He unrolled and read it without pausing in his speech. Nothing altered in his voice or manner or in the content of what he was saying but suddenly, the names were different. Without words said, a wave of understanding rippled through the crowd. Oceana was at war with East Asia. The next moment, there was a tremendous commotion. The banners and posters with which the square was decorated were all wrong. Quite half of them had the wrong faces on them. It was sabotage. The agents of Goldstein had been at work. There was a riotous interlude where posters were ripped from the walls, banners torn to shreds and trampled underfoot. The spies performed prodigies of activity in clambering over the rooftops and cutting the streamers that fluttered from the chimneys. But within two or three minutes, it was all over. The orator, still gripping the neck of the microphone, his shoulders hunched forward, his free hand clawing at the air, had gone straight on with his speech. One minute more, and the feral roars of rage were again bursting from the crowd. The hate continued exactly as before, except that the target had been changed. Orwell was writing a cautionary tale, a warning. Too many people are looking at it as an instruction manual, as an example. The totalitarian police state is real, and there are people throughout the world. You look at what's happening in Australia right now. There are people who would love to have that kind of thing happen here in the United States of America. 
lock them up if they don't comply. I want to go back through here real quick and see if Cam Cam even uh, did did uh, did he mention why he's why he got banned from? Let's see here. Got banned on Twitter. Everything you Alright, I don't see Cam1138, I don't see why you got banned from Twitter. So I will leave you with this. Yes, Cam, if you would, I'm curious why you got why you got banned from, from Twitter. And I am definitely going to investigate whether or not this video is even allowed to be on YouTube. We'll see what happens when I try to upload the recording. Ah. Cam1138 banned for saying Americans should die on the Hill of Liberty. The Hill of Liberty, the Tree of Liberty, Tree of Liberty gets watered by the blood of patriots sometimes. I will leave you with this. From 1984, it says, War is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. Doesn't make a lick of sense, but sure, that's what the Ministry of Truth wants you to believe. I'll give you one. Compliance is capitulation. They want you to see five Lights. But there are only four lights. We'll be back tomorrow. If YouTube will cooperate. Have a good day. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 